Welcome to the Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. Although we, last episode we did say that we were finishing off with hematology, um, there was one big topic we uh, might have overlooked and yeah. just didn't feel right without talking about it. Yeah, we, we just couldn't skip that topic it's so important that it, we, it would we be debated very remiss we like us. oh should we keep to our word but uh oh well we decided to come back yeah for it. um but rest assured we were planning on um covering oncology in the near future but yes. let's finish off hematology properly okay by once again about... finishing off hematology yeah. so um today's episode will be on uh transfusion reactions yeah exactly and, and we'll yes. talk a bit, a bit about the physiology or you know the antigenicity of red blood cells and why that could lead to transfusion reactions exactly do you want to maybe cover some of the fundamental aspects let's of this? Let's both do it. And yeah. so, yeah, let's begin. Okay, so when we talk about transfusion reactions, what we're basically talking about is blood types. And so you have to know about blood types. Yeah. And what is a blood type? So essentially with a red blood cell, everybody has it. But the difference between my red blood cells and your red blood cells is the different antigens on top. Mm. Yep. yep, exactly right. I, yeah. I think we should clarify that every cell has an antigen, right? And that's okay, how yeah. the body can detect yeah. self from non-self, right? True. Now, like you said, there is there are these specific antigens that are observed in red blood cells that not everyone will have. So mm. you might have a different antigen than than myself. Mm. And I guess why is that important, Andy? So why is it that the fact that you have a different antigen to me is mm. a could be a potentially problematic issue? Well, the reason why the body is able to differentiate between my and yours is just so that our immune system can recognize my own cells and something mm. that's foreign. But the problem comes when, let's say, when I'm in shock and I'm dying of like blood loss and I need your... Let's blood. hope that never comes to it. Yeah, but. exactly. But hoping... Okay, so let's say, hypothetically, when somebody is dying of shock some, yeah. and needs a transfusion, sometimes that blood might not be compatible. And that's when yeah. this issue comes into whether if you find the compatible blood that the, their body doesn't react to... Mm to this new foreign foreign bottle that we're yeah, transfusing. Absolutely. And I guess fundamentally what, what happens is that so you've got these antigens on your surface that I don't. So mm-hmm. my body's gonna mount will have potentially be able to mount an immune response against your antigens because mm-hmm. they're foreign. Yes. And that can lead to eventually destruction of your cells. Yes. Your, specifically your red blood cells. And that is why you get transfusion reactions very simply put. It's not mm. as simple as that. Mm. Um do you want to maybe talk about some of the unique antigens on the red blood cells. There's yep. a couple of important common ones that we need to know, but there's also lots of Definitely. rarer ones that... So, yeah, yeah. So let's say um, when we talk about blood types or like the antigens... So it's the antigens that determine the blood type, right? Yeah. So when we talk about blood types, the common one that we think of is ABO, the ABO yep. grouping, but there's definitely more than that to it. Mm. Then there we've got the second most um, important one that we we know of is this one called the rhesus group. Yeah, that's so, very important. So that's well. when, you know, people call themselves A positive, A negative. Yeah. That, that usually refers to the rhesus group. And then we've got ones which I have never heard of until we started hematology, which is like the Kell group, Duffy, Kid, Lutheran, Lewis, P, MNS. Mm, yeah. I think for, for the sake of, mm-hmm. you know, um, simplicity, it's, rec- it's important to recognize that there are other less minor mm-hmm. um, antigens that can lead to um, hemolytic disorders yep. or transfusion reactions. But yep. in majority of cases, it's ABO and a bit of re- uh, RH, which is resus. So yep. that's the, I think we'll just focus on that. How does exactly. that sound? Yeah. But just keep in mind that there are other, so, you know, when we talk about, you know, cross-matching and making sure the blood is compatible, we're not just only looking at, oh, ABO and pl- positive negative. We're yep. also 
the the hematologists they also keep in mind of these all additional groups just to just to be safe. Yeah, especially if you get unexplained hemolysis with mm. following a transfusion, it could be something else that yeah. is playing a key role. Mm. So, okay. and I I know what my blood group is. So I'm, I'm a positive, uh, a a student, but also a positive, <laughs> An a plus <Hardly>. student, <laughs> hardly. Actually, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering. So if I'm a positive, yeah. what would be some of the antibodies that I would have to I guess other transfusion mm. uh, other blood group so would i be able to receive let's say someone who's a b positive okay so if you're an a positive that means that you have the a antigen but that will also mean that you've got the anti b antibodies which yeah. is a, a concept we'll, we'll go through in a bit more detail but yeah so if you get some if you get someone with a b blood type mm-hmm. uh, red blood cells then your anti b antibodies will pick up on those and that will cause the red blood uh their red blood cells to be lice. Yeah. yeah. So imagine if you're receiving two packed units of blood, mm-hmm. which is, you know, 600 mils e- each, that's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of hemolysis and that can be a mm. serious issue. So let's say, conversely, let's say you, you, you've got a B uh, antigen. Does that mean that then you have an anti-A? Usually that, that's what happens. Yeah. So let's say um, someone who who's grown up normally and hasn't received a, any transfusions beforehand. Mm-hmm. Naturally, the if you have a B antigen that means your body will na- will for some reason which which will will explain yeah. will actually produce anti a antibodies yeah. although the body hasn't really been exposed to any previous mm. transfusions before yeah just in case if you you're someone who hasn't really come across uh, immunology and you find the terms antigen and antibodies quite confusing the antigen refers to this little um let's say you can call them a marker on the cell surface yeah. and the antibodies are basically these uh immunoglobulins or these um these things that the mm. body produces that targets certain yeah certain antigens exactly yeah, yeah absolutely mm. right um okay so what's the story with guys who say hey i'm a universal donor or i'm a universal acceptor what's with their blood groups okay that depends on you know so certain blood groups are called universal donors mm. and other blood groups are called universal acceptors yeah and this all comes down to the basis of, you know, the antigens and antibody production. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a person with a O-type blood group does not have any A or B antigens on top of it. Yeah. Okay, so that means that their blood, red blood cells can be given to anybody without the risk mm-hmm. of anybody else's A or B antibodies to pick up. Because you know. they just don't have any antigens for yes. the antibodies to target. Exactly. But that's they they it's an issue for them though, isn't it? When they want to receive blood transfusion. Exactly. Because when because since they are a type O, what you need to remember is that they would their innate body would produce both anti A and anti B mm, antibodies. Yeah. So that means the O type uh, people, although they're great donors, so they're universal donors, they would also be people who can only accept O type uh, blood. Yeah. So on the other hand, Hamid, why don't you try to explain what is a person who is called a universal acceptor? Yeah, sure. So universal acceptor are the guys that can have and that whose red blood cells are expressing both A and B. I mean, <laughs> these guys can't produce antibodies to their A's and they can't no. really produce antibodies to their B's. Yeah. I think they might have a small amount, okay. but it's not enough to cause mm. hemolysis, right? Yeah. And so those guys are able to receive blood from uh or are, yeah or are able to donate sorry receive blood yes from everyone yes but they can't donate to other people because if you give it to an a positive person they're going to have lots of antibodies towards the b and if you give it to um a b positive person they're going to have lots of antibodies towards a so these yes. guys can't really mm-hmm. donate they can receive 
which is a bit selfish if you ask me. Oh, but AB type people, <laughs> yeah, AB type people indeed. Takers but, of the world, yeah. And but you know you can, uh, yeah, uh, you, they can receive, but they can't really donate. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go back back a little bit. We okay. kind of skipped about you know we sort of alluded to it. But how do these antibodies come about? Right? Yes. Is it true that if if in animal models, they've shown that if you have a sterile gut, um, so if there's no microflora, there's no um, flora in that gut, then mm. you don't develop these AB. That was that was something that was really interesting when that yeah. came up when um, during the lecture because I always had the question, you know, if uh, mm. I mean, if you haven't been transfused blood beforehand, how does someone who has never seen, for example, like in yourself, you mentioned yeah. you're an A A type person, if you if your body hasn't been exposed to any B antigens, how does it produce? automatically yeah. anti-B antibodies. But um, so according to the lecture, these um, antigens are qu- do mimic or actually are quite generic, you could you could call them. And so let's say if you have gut flora, the gut is bound to produce things that are looking like the yeah. B um, antigens, and then naturally your body will produce anti-B antibodies. Yeah. And similarly, vice versa. If you have naturally B antigens, your gut is go- is bound to create something that looks like the A antigen, and mm. so you're going to create the anti-A antigens, yeah. uh, antibodies. But so, like, let's, they did models, and they found that if you if they grew a chicken in a um, completely sterile environment, that's the only situation when the body doesn't naturally produce any yeah. of these foreign anti exactly right. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Mm. Um, but the thing is, though, like, yeah. so even if you have some antibodies, right, mm-hmm. they're a very small amount. So even on your first exposure, you might not necessarily develop okay. a full-blown reaction. Mm-hmm. You sensitize the immune system, and then the immune system then begins to start producing lots more antibodies. So subsequent mm-hmm. exposure, if you're really unlucky, mm-hmm. that's when you get the complete full-blown reaction. Mm-hmm. So the way you can tell whether someone's been previously exposed versus unexposed is that normally, if you haven't been exposed, you should just have IgMs. Right. Yes, the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time. So if you've never been transfused, um, you should have, or um, yeah, you should have IgM. But if you've been exposed, then IgM is transformed into IgG. Yes. Now this can be problematic, especially if you're pregnant, because IgG can travel across the placenta. Mm-hmm. It's a much smaller antibody than IgM, and so that can pose significant problems for the fetus. And we'll talk more about it once we talk about the resource status. Well, do you want to have a chat about the resource status, um, or should we talk about the structure of the antibodies for a little not? bit? Let's let's talk about the structures of the A, B, and O sure. antibodies first, and then we'll go on to the, the next type yeah. of antigens. Yeah. Oh, sorry, the antigens. So essentially, on the cell surface, you're going to the A, B, and O antigens all look quite similar. They all glycopeptide. They look like glycopeptides to me, don't I they? I think you can call them that actually. Yeah. Um, so you've got three you've got a basic structure. Mm. And so this basic structure is composed of N acetyl D glucosamine connected to a D galactose connected yeah. to an L fructose. All um, of them have that, don't they? Yes. Yeah. All three. So the O group, the A group and the B group all have these things. The difference is that the O group only consists of this basic structure, whereas the A group has an additional structure called the N, another N-acetyl-D-glucosamine-attached... No, glactosamine, not glucosamine. Glactosamine, sorry. Uh, Yeah, so they've got an additional amino acid. I think it's an aminoglycan. Okay, That's why they're called glycopeptides, yeah. yeah. An aminoglycan attached to it, whereas the B group has D-galactose 
attached to it. So they all share this basic function, uh, the basic structure, but the O group only has this structure, whereas the A group has an addi- additional one st- stuck onto yeah. it, whereas the B has an, an alternative one stuck onto it. So it looks like, I mean, if you visualize it, if you guys are not sure what it looks like, have a look on the internet. I'm sure there's lots of images. Yeah. It looks like there's a core structure, and then these the difference between the A, B is a difference in the side chain, yep. side group that's been attached to it. That's about it, really. There mm-hmm. isn't that much more. It's not any more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about um, recess because we, we were talking about this sort of issue with the fetus. So recess is another important antigen, isn't it? Yes, very and it's important. particularly important when during pregnancy. Mm. So we'll talk about why, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about it? Uh, afterwards, afterwards. Sure. Time. Yep. So, in terms of the resus group, so the common one that the common abbreviation that you come across if you're doing a lot of reading in this area is RHD. You might also encounter RHCE. Alpha I think, should be predominantly on RHD because that's what mm. is really mentioned. So, on a red blood cell, RHD could either be absent, so that's an RHD negative or resus negative, mm-hmm. or it could be present, and that's RHD positive or resus positive. Now, with the RHC, you can have alternate splicing, which can lead to um, lots of different slight variations of, of that structure. But let's not focus too much on it. Mm. The key thing is to appreciate the concept of uh, um, resource positive and resource negative. So mm. before we talk about hemolytic reactions, let's broadly talk about transfusion reactions first. And then okay. we'll talk about the role of resource yeah. in, in the fetus as well. That's mm. going to, you know, in, in terms of hemolytic reactions in the fetus. Just remind me what what happens again with like hemo- mm. just the gen- general approach to yep. hemolytic transfusion reactions. Okay, so in order to understand this, we need to have a very basic understanding of what happens immuno- mm. immunologically. So what happens usually in the body is that the body is going to pick up these antigens, so these signals on cells, and it's going to attach on an antibody yeah. that uh, that goes onto these cells when it picks up something that's mm-hmm. foreign. Once these antibodies are attached onto it, it's basically tagged. It's going to, the body's yeah. going to say, hey, this is something you need to watch out for. And the macrophages, the guys that gobble up mm-hmm. um, things in the body, will look for these tagged cells yeah. and then destroy them. Yeah, yep. exactly. You often hear the term reticular endothelial system, right? Oh, yeah. What is that? And that really is referring to your spleen. Macrophages are found extensively within the spleen. Mm-hmm. And so red blood cells eventually end up in the spleen, um, mm-hmm. as you weren't, if, in case you weren't aware. And that's a, p- a predominant site where red blood cell destruction occurs. But mm. if these guys are already tagged with antibodies, like you mentioned, mm. let's say with IgG, then there's going to be an increased rate of destruction by the macrophages. So that's mm. what the reticular endothelial system does. And yeah. that's ultimately the fate of these tagged red blood cells. Um, okay. oh, actually, also another thing was that with the antibodies, as we mentioned before, there's IgM and IgG. Uh, the main difference is that usually when... Um, the B cells that produce these antibodies, initially when they first come across something that's foreign, they'll shoot out these IgM mm. antibodies. Yeah. And given some time, they will refine it yeah. and switch its class into an IgG. That's right. So the difference between IgM and IgG is IgM is very... When you look at it, you associate it with something that's premature, new, uh, that the body's reacting to, whereas IgG is something that is recognized before and mm. it has time to yeah. prepare for it. Exactly, absolutely. Very right. important to remember. There's also cases of patients... Yep. Uh, who have had a very low titers of these antibodies, right? And so when you okay. we'll talk about testing of how, how you go about testing and blood matching, but when the patients have been blood matched, they weren't able to detect it, right? Okay. But when they are given the transfusion, the body is then triggered into producing antibodies, and antibodies don't produce straight away. It takes a little bit of time for it to be produced, so these guys can have delayed reactions, despite the fact that initially they were found to be 
um, you know, antibody negative, it's because the antibody, the testing isn't sensitive enough to pick up a very minute amount of antibodies. Oh, okay. But those memory cells are still present and sure. those memory cells can then bring about, uh, you know, increased antibody production and uh, cell destruction. So what are some of the symptoms and uh, features of patients who develop acute hemolytic transfusion reactions? There's, yep. a, there's a bunch of symptoms that, that you can expect mm. to see. So an acute hemolytic transfusion usually occurs when... Actually, another thing we probably should mention is that we mentioned a lot of these antigens, mm. but the reason why ABO and RH, the rhesus groups, are more commonly mentioned than others is because they are the ones that cause the more severe reactions. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you were Kel positive and you accidentally got given it, from my understanding is that it, it will cause a reaction, but it's not one of those very severe life endangering ones. Yeah. So the ABO ones are the most, the, the ones that if you've given an incom- incompatible ABO group, they cause the worst yeah, reactions. I think they're highly antigenic. That's yes. why they, they do it. That, that's the right term. So what would be some of the symptoms that yes. you get? So the symptoms... Usually, I'm guessing jaundice might be one of them? Definitely. Yeah. Jaundice because the red blood cells get destroyed and the, mm-hmm. the hemoglobin gets released yep. and then goes down into forming jaundice. Yep. Um, so another thing could happen is you can get uh, hives, uticaria. It is sort of like an allergic reaction if you think about it. So it kind of mm. makes sense why you might start developing yep. these symptoms. Other things such as uh, flushing, headaches, shortness of breath. I mm-hmm. wouldn't be surprised because maybe the red blood cells are being destroyed. And you don't have enough hemoglobins to carry mm. around oxygen in your body. What else? Yeah. You can probably get um, hemoglobinemia. So you're going to get um, hemoglobin getting released into the blood, getting eventually filtered by the kidneys, either depositing in the kidneys, which can cause glomerulonephritis or acute renal failure, okay. or depositing in the tubules, causing necrosis, yeah. or worst case scenario, or maybe the best case scenario, it goes into the bladder and you, you know, it actually looks like you're, you know, have this very dark, mm. a dark, very dark colored urine. But essentially, when you're thinking about these things, you're going to have general symptoms of allergy. So you're, you're going to be in shock because mm-hmm. you're going to have massive immune response, yep. lots of histamine release, vasodilation, kind of like anaphylaxis. But then also think about what happens when hemoglobin, too much hemoglobin is then released into the blood. So the deposition in the kidneys, in the tube, renal tubules, but also um, in the bladder as well. How do you treat it? Unfortunately, there isn't anything that can reverse the destruction of these yeah. red blood cells. So all you can do is resuscitate the patient, mm. give them fluids and just um, manage them symptom-wise. Supportive care, right? Supportive care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously make sure they're you know, monitoring their blood pressure, the airways are patent, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably warrants a trip to ICU if it's really bad, yeah. um, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. All right. So well, we kind of mentioned about the delayed mm-hmm. hemolytic reactions, haven't we? Yes. Or do you want to talk well, more about it? It doesn't hurt to just quickly talk about sure. it again. So like a delayed reaction is probably more commonly occurring nowadays because the acute ones, they when they do occur, it's probably due to a clerical error mm. where somebody accidentally gave the wrong type of blood. Yeah. Whereas the delayed hemolytic transfusion reactions, they're from the other um, uh, un- more less less commonly seen mm. antigen that, that get picked up, but they're also less severe as well. Yeah. Also with the delayed reaction, it kind of also, uh, goes back to what we talked about, having not enough antibodies present and not being oh. detected initially either. And yeah. so these guys are not detected. They're given the blood. Several weeks afterwards, the immune cells have produced those antibodies, which coat the transfused blood and you get delayed hemolysis. But generally, they're not as bad as yeah. your... Because some of the blood would have been lost through the reticular endothelial system naturally anyway. Yep. Um, so delayed reactions are not as severe as the acute reactions. But let's talk about hemolytic disease of the newborn, which oh. goes back to our resus um, yes. discussion that we had. Do you yes. want to talk about it? Definitely. Okay, so uh, hemolytic disease of the newborn, or HDN, 
occurs in a very specific scenario.、Mm. It is involving a recess negative mother and a recess positive baby. Yeah, and that's the. I think that's the only combination. That's the only one that I know. That、of. that they they are concerned of. Yeah. So the reasoning behind it is that the mother blood is recess negative and the baby is recess positive, and the issue comes.、Uh, I'll skip. I'll skip over a bit, but the essential issue to it is. They're afraid of the mother producing these antibodies、mm. that go through the placenta and target the baby's recess-positive antigens、yeah. and kill the baby. Yeah, and I guess this reaction probably doesn't affect the first baby, right? Because、no. that's just the sensitization. Because a little bit of baby's、yeah. blood can placental blood can leak into the mother's circulation. Yes. So you sensitize the mother. Yes. So the mother starts producing some IgGs, particularly during vaginal or or during birth. Anyway,、yes. there might be a bit of blood exchange. The It's the、periods. second baby that you worry about because now the mother has been sensitized. Now, if、mm-hmm. there's a bit of, if the next baby has, or fetus has IgG positive blood type as well,、mm-hmm. the mother's already going to have、Antibod- memory cells yeah. ready yeah. with c- c- capable of producing antibodies. So that's、mm-hmm. when we get really worried about、uh, is that risk of damage to the baby,、uh, the second second child. So. Is there a way to prevent this, Andy? Definitely. So one way that some clever person out there came up with was to prevent the mother from developing these antibodies、mm. in the first place. What they actually give is the anti-D antibodies, which、yeah. we're afraid of that gets into the baby.、Mm-hmm. But what they do is that they give it to the mother when during periods of where the mother's highly likely to get exposed to. So the they give anti-D. Yes. Antibodies. Okay. Yeah. So the anti-D antibodies get given to the mother, and what the rationale behind it is that when the baby's D antigen positive recess、um, blood cells get into the mother.、Mm-hmm. These given anti D antibodies are going to coat these、mm. cells. It's very clever and prevent. So they are. So these、uh, these antigens that we're afraid that the mother is going to recognize or develop a recognition to already are coated by the antibodies that we give the mother.、In、this way, the mother's immune system. It remains oblivious to it. Well, yeah. So the you know, B cells and T cells don't really kick in, do they? No. So the macrophages already do the you know removal、yeah. without actually triggering your adaptive immune response, which、exactly. is pretty amazing. I know. Very smart way. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you give the anti D antibodies、um, within twenty four to thirty weeks, or just before pregnant,、uh, just before childbirth, where there's a big、okay. risk of exposure. Sure. Now I didn't know this, but if if you detect a, a baby having、um, Uh, and the mother attacking、uh, mother's antibodies attacking the baby. You can actually give into uterine transfusion. I think we mentioned that、really? in the sickle cell talk as well. It's pretty amazing how you can do that,、mm-hmm. um, and that can be a way of actually managing the the fetus until delivery.、Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you have adequate precautionary measures in place, you don't、yeah. need to resort to this、Man. you know very invasive、um, procedure. Cool. I think that's all I want to talk about、mm. with regards to antigens and antibodies. There's one topic we need to talk about before we finish, and that's cross matching. We kind of mentioned that earlier in、okay. the podcast. Do you、yep. want to quickly mention、mm. what a Coombs is positive, Coombs negative test、yep. is? So and an indirect, indirect. Yeah. yeah. There's um two terms that you probably will need to know if you're when you're studying hematology is Coombs um Coombs tests,、mm. and so we've got direct Coombs tests and indirect Coombs tests. Yeah. Okay. So essentially. The process is very similar between the two, and、um, we can go through a direct Coombs test first, and then we'll talk about yeah, indirect Coombs、good. test. Okay, so the direct Coombs test is used when、uh, is basically a way to determine whether if there are antibodies already being stuck onto、mm. a red blood cell,、yeah. and this is very important in let's say if you've got a hemolytic transfusion reaction, so you suspect that a patient has been given the wrong type of blood group. 
you take the patient's blood and you look for on that on the patient's blood cells whether if antibodies have been stuck onto it. Have so you give an anti-IgG yeah. for the antibodies that are targeting that red blood cell, don't you? Yes. So what you do is, yeah, as, as Hamid, you said, so you give them antibodies that target the antibodies, yeah, and then watch for these antibodies to actually clump everything together and agglutinate so what that means is just for blood cells to clump together i think we need to explain why this agglutination or clumping occurs it's because normally red blood cells have a charged surface right so with the antibodies they can still repel each other but when you add another antibody that detects the bound Mm -hmm. antibodies Mm -hmm. they can't come together uh, or they can sorry they can come together a little bit easier they have a bit more space where they don't get as much um, repulsive forces and that uh, forces and that's why they uh, agglutinate and drop out of solution so that's another way but what about the indirect test yeah so the indirect test is very similar to that but instead of actually looking for antibodies that are already stuck onto these red blood cells you actually try to look for the antibodies that are in the patient's serum so let's say you want to give a transfusion to someone yep. you test the donor serum against the blood don't you and then when you test them against each other, if this donor has antibodies towards the red blood cells, they'll coat. And then you add the reagents into, so the antibodies, Coombs antibodies into the, the test. And if there's agglutination, that shows that there are some antibodies present. If there's no agglutination, that suggests that um, they, there is no antibodies present. That's my understanding. Is that mm. your understanding as well? Um. So I thought like with, with that one, it was what you do is you, you grab the patient's blood. So mm-hmm. let's say, so this is the indirect Coombs test. Mainly the difference is that you, you're trying to pick up antibodies or pick up a, a potential problem before it occurs, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you grab the patient's blood, you take out the red blood cells, you keep whatever's left, the, yep. the serum that's left. And then you give, you put in red blood cells that you know have specific antigens okay. on top. Yeah. Yep. And then you wait for, your the patient's anti uh, if they have any antibodies to attach onto the red blood cells yeah because you know what exactly is on those red blood cells and then you do a direct coombs test where you put on those antibody antibodies okay and then you look wait for that reaction yeah so it's a way to pick up some so in in one sentence an indirect coombs test picks up problems that before they occur whereas a direct coombs test in my understanding is something that you test for after something has happened Mm. to see what has gone wrong yeah it's a bit of a confusing area but Mm. there's lots of pictures on the internet that you can have a look at to tell you the difference yeah um so in this talk we kind of briefly talked about antigens we talked about antibodies and why red blood cells may be a target for antigens and antibodies Mm -hmm. we talked about the three well, there's four, but we talked about the three antigens, A, B, and O, which doesn't yep. have any uh, antigens. We talked about resus positive and resus negative, which is important for the fetus, yep. especially if we're going to have hemolytic disease of the fetus. And we also talked about broadly transfusion reactions, and you can have acute forms and you can have delayed forms as well. Yes. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap nah, up? I think that's it. So I think we're definitely officially going to talk about oncology, which we are super excited about in our next <laughs> podcast. Yeah. And that's a promise. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're, we're done with hematology. Okay. Yeah. Hello, oncology next time. Yeah. Hello, oncology. So thank you so much for tuning in, guys. If you have any um, questions or feedback, um, yeah, please let us know. Visit the website and we'd love to hear what you think. Yeah. Until next time. See you.